0: Here we are now. And today, I'd like to talk about elixir koans. This is a phrase I'd like to coin. This is a Dosta original idea. And what is, or what are, the elixir koans? And that is our discussion today. In a nutshell, they are four basic questions. They're four koans that work together. They're complementary. And yet they also work across planes and tiers and through threads, and there are multiple conceptual points that can be applied to these koans. So there's a lot in this. It's an adaptable and dynamic matrix that we're talking about. And the ultimate point is to expand your being. We're trying to get at How do we broaden you? How do we deepen your self knowledge? How do we complexify your sense of self? And possibly even, how do we shift you into other realms of consciousness or being? And the way we do that with these koans is by reverse engineering words. We grow an awareness of our relationship with words. We enter into words with an intelligence, with a kind of expanding attitude. And this conversation is very much a big mind conversation. This is advanced stuff that we're talking about. These are deep complex. Deep complexes. They're deep meta-concepts. This is metaphysics. And it's going to require cognitive work. It's going to require thinking. It's going to require your best contemplation chops. Your best introspection skills. And I call these koans the elixir koans because they really do cover everything. And they really do create this propellant of life. This propellant of you becoming more. So you might want to have a notepad or something or to take notes because there is a lot of components to this and they all have to work together. But I promise you, once you start to see the picture and everything starts to work harmoniously together, things will open up beautifully for you. You'll be able to have a whole new strength in your mind. And your way of navigating your inner world and what it means to exist, your private world. What we're we're working with here is your private sense of life, your private life. What it's like to be you when there's no one around, there's nothing happening and it's just you. We're going for your core essence, your rock bottom being. The real you. That's what we're going for. And that being said, this is not an exhaustive matrix. It's, it's integral in the sense that it can have components added to it later on. It can be filled with different content. It can be populated with different examples. It can be applied to multiple situations and Really the examples and the situations and the words that I use here today is a very narrow Version it's a very narrow example. It's very small minded compared to how far these this matrix goes So we're calling it a matrix and and I'll be distinguishing terms as we go along and some of these terms will mean things in different contexts but keep this conversation here contained within itself to understand it and to know what we're working on and just keep in mind that, well, a lot of words, like well, basically like all words, they have a degree of implications. So that's why we spend some time on definitions and metaphors and sort of mundane examples or thinking about it in simple and also abstract ways. And then there's this other thing which I'll mention, which is if I ask a question but don't answer it, it's to prompt you. This is a technique that you should be well aware of now. This is the probing contemplation technique. This is the leading questions technique. Now, some of the time, of course, I ask a question because we stumble upon something which I haven't thought about. And I decide to either come up with a quick answer or sometimes I decide to just leave it and say, I don't know the answer to that. So that's the case as well sometimes. But a lot of the times I'm asking you questions to probe you, to get your contemplation ticking. This, this is an active conversation. This involves your involvement. <laughs> involves involvement. <laughs> requires participation. It requires you to be really following along and really just being attentive and saying, can I get this? Because there's a real treasure in this. There's a very rare, beautiful jewel that can come from this. And really, this whole thing is about enriching your inner world and making wealthy your sense of life. That's why it's called the elixir koans, the elixir of life. The elixir elixir of life does two things. It makes you live forever and it turns any base metal into gold. So here we're working with the base metals. So to finish off what I was just saying before I went on a little bit of a tangent about it, elixirs, is if I ask a question but don't answer it, it's to prompt you. And most of the time, I actually know the answer. I have my own answer. And my own answer for many questions won't help you. You need to find your own answers. even if it, Even if there is a correct and an incorrect answer, and this whole thing of questions, well, we'll be talking about that more and more as we go along. So, elixir koans. I trust you know what a koan is. Well, this is what we've just been talking about just now, which is questions. A koan is a question. It comes from the Zen Buddhism tradition. Where you go off to a monastery... You shave your head, you dress in a robe, you eat one meal a day, vegetarian meal, and you spend 18 hours a day sitting in a meditation position called Zazen, and once a month you get a meeting with the Zen master, and he gives you a koan, and your job is to answer the koan. And the process is, well, the process is the result. A koan is the thing that drives you into your consciousness. It's an inquiry into your nature. And there's no right or wrong answer because you have to answer with your being. It's not like you can just say what the words are. You answer with your being. And there's a lot of depth in koans. There's a lot of depth in how they bring about an expanding consciousness, an expanding awareness. And it's really a question that when you have a koan, you can really just take just one of them and you can make it like your mantra. You can take it like your guiding principle or the thing that you come back to or the thing that you do over and over again. There's this saying in Buddhism which is if you dig 10 one-meter wells, you'll never reach the water. But if you, drink, if you dig one 10-meter well, then you will reach the water. So in that respect, some Buddhists or Zen masters or Zen students decide, I'm just going to have this one question which I'm taking with me. And that will be the thing that I work on for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And they really go into it. And they really make it, they really turn it into a path. It's the path of the koan. And when we look at the koans, they can also be distilled. And that is essentially what we're doing here. There's also a grand, they're also like, if you if you distill them, you have these grand koans, all these like ultimate be-all and end-all koans. And essentially, well, an example of one of those would be, who am I? Who am I? And that's one that you can repeat over and over again. In such a way as to discover all parts of your being, and even dissolve parts of your being, and dissolve all of your being. And you can say, well, other koans are just a, simply a, a kind of lesser version or a more specific version of that one. And, and another one is sort of more philosophical. It's, it's like, what is it? If we distill all the philosophical questions down, we can say, what is it? Is a fundamental or an absolute question. And, and really, you can even collapse these two. Who am I and what is it? There's a lot of similarities in that. And those paths, that the answers that are found on walking the paths of those two questions can cross paths. They can have a lot of Overlap. So what we've done here with these elixir koans if we, is we've taken one of these ultimate koans or these f- final koans and we've said, okay, how do we dis- define, decide this into four, divide this into four? And we're going to make, instead of one ultimate koan that we carry around with us, we're going to have four ultimate koans that we carry around with us. And there's a reason for it. You'll see why as we go through. And not only that, but we're also understanding components of these koans. They have tiers, planes, and threads, as well as key concepts that can be applied to them. So it's a it's a little bit more complicated than just one question. It's a matrix. We can say you can have a leading... We're somewhere between... like, Think of it this way. You can have a leading koan question, which is for building awareness, and it's just one question. And then on the other side, you can have a concept of reality or a a total metaphysical theory of everything like Ken Wilber's integral theory, for example. And there are other people that have done similar sorts of things. So on the one side, you've got questions for personal awareness, and on the other side, you've got this big, giant, complex concept or theory for understanding reality. And what we're doing here is we're merging the two. We're sort of blurring somewhere in between those two. So, we've got these four key questions, and we've also got components of a matrix. So, that's a good way to think about it. So, what are the koans? I'll give them to you, and then we'll dig into the elements of the matrix. Now, the thing about these koans is they're not posed as questions, they're posed as statements. And we will get back again to this thing of statements and questions and answers and all that, but for now, let's just go through these koans. Number one, I am doing. Number two, I am being. Number three, I am not. And number four, the last one, I am feeling. So these are the pillars of the matrix. They're the core foundations. They're the things that we're really starting and ending with. It comes back to these four statements. Or half, they're really half statements. And what you want to do is start to notice when you say these things or when you think these things, whenever they come up. And that will be your bell. That will be your entry into awareness. And the actual application is going to be something we discuss as we go along. So be clear about these four. I am doing I am being, I am not, I am feeling. So we've got doing, being, not, and feeling. So keep that in mind and we're really going to start to build these up and start to see how malleable they are and how far and deep they thread into everything. So, where to begin with the matrix? The matrix. Another thing I'll say quickly is, with any matrix, there's this thing of levels and hierarchies. And I'll just remind you again, which I remind you every time when we talk about hierarchies and levels, that it's just a concept It's not something to get stuck up into about morality or better or worse. It's simply a way of learning how to navigate something so complex and vast as reality. And there are correct ways to use hierarchies and incorrect ways to use hierarchies. There are pathological versions of hierarchies and there are flowering versions of hierarchies. So, whenever I think of, whenever I say levels or we talk about levels, it doesn't necessarily mean better or worse. It doesn't necessarily mean before or after. It doesn't necessarily mean bigger or smaller or above or below. All of this is just, it's abstract thinking, it's abstract talking. And when we use, I mean, this is one of our tools in the toolkit of. Cognition and words is where we're talking in such a way as if there's space. And we do this all the time. We do this with, well, when we think of time, we say forwards in time or backwards in time. So that's a spatial example of an abstract concept trying to come across in words. So just remember that when we talk about levels or threads or, or anything spatial really, So, with that in mind, we've got our key core principle or element of the elixir koans matrix, and that is of planes. So, planes is another word for levels. We could have used the word levels, but I use the word planes because, well, when we think of levels, we think of levels in a house or levels in a building But when we think of planes, they're a bit they're a bit bigger, like the desert plane. That's more what we're talking about. And here these planes are more like, well, they think think of it this way we've got the planet, and then we've got clouds, and then we've got outer space beyond orbit. Now, within those planes, and that's what we can call planes for the purposes of this conversation, within those, we can have certain levels. So here we're saying planes are very broad. They're very big. And we can even say within levels, there are ladders or there are steps. So you can see, if you can get your head around that, then you can start to see that we're picking into an ever more detailed and nuanced picture of how things fit together we're, we're heightening the resolution it's like the zoom of the camera so if the if the steps in the levels on the house which is a part of a plane is our scales uh, the, indicating our scales of how much detail we go into then that gives you some sense of what we're working with So when we talk about planes, we're thinking very, very broad. We're zooming all the way out. We're going into out of space to see the whole world. Or we're going up to the sky, to the clouds. Or we're going to be thinking the the, the Earth is in the, the surface of the Earth, the entire surface of the planet. So what are the three planes? We've got physical, the mental... And the mystical. So the physical is the planet. The mental is the clouds. And the mystical is outer space. Now when we talk about the physical world, most people know what we're talking about. We're talking about objects. The chair. The car. The shops. The mirror. And so on. And we say there's physical stuff. I can see it, I can hit it, I can bang it, I can move it around, I can perceive it, and it's solid, and it's gross, and it's very obvious, and it's definitely there. It is absolutely, without a doubt, 100% definitely there. And that's the physical. Then between the physical and the mystical, we've got the mental. And this is otherwise known as the words, planes, the planes, The plane that's full of words. Now, they're like the clouds. They're like the bubbles of the waves. The words are, well, they're symbolic. They are referencing things. They're abstract. They're, well, what are words? They're philosophical. That's a philosophical question, isn't it? What are words? We've talked about that before. If you've been listening along to me for some time, we've been discussing that at length. At certain, in certain conversations, it's a wonderful question to go into. There are also symbols and their representations and their stories and their all sorts of things. Words are words. Words are of the mental plane. They're of this middle plane. And then we have the mystical. So the mystical is above the mental plane. It's beyond. And what can we say about the mystical? How do I describe the mystical? Because it doesn't include words. It is not words. There are no words in the mystical realm. There are no clouds in out of space. You can't have rain on the on the moon well maybe on maybe on some other planets you can have have rain and then the analogy breaks down but in in deep space floating space not on any moons or planets there's no there are no clouds it's a vacuum so understanding the relationship between these three is very important because what we're doing right here right now is using words this entire conversation is of the mental plane. We remain only in the mental plane as we are here describing these other planes. Now, what words do, what words are trying to do, is to interpret the planes above and below it. So we use words to talk about the physical world. Most people can understand that. We label things. We label this a mirror. We label this a car. And we say, well, let's give it some movement and let's put some concepts on it. and Let's put it into a big complex thing and language becomes this huge thing. But understand that that language, all language is sitting on this physical world. It's relating to this physical world. And it will never be the physical world. A word will never be physical. Now we can say that some words are more accurate some words are more clear some ways of speaking are more useful there's an ever ending directionality to language towards well towards what is the <laughs> that's a pretty deep question what are we what are we evolving towards <laughs> maybe that's too big of a question to get into now i can see a i can see a very big Tangent opening up to my left. (laughs) Better not go down. Let's just stay with these three planes that we've got now. But I think most people can understand that the physical world and the mental world, well, they have a relationship. They interact. And, in a sense, the better you are at language, the better you can manipulate the physical world. I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, we've also got value structures and morality and psychology and cognition and a whole bunch of things. So it's very broad that we're speaking here. It's very hard to really put in any specific examples at this stage. Now, when it comes to the mystical realm, the mystical plane, it shares the same relationship with... The mental plane as the physical one, the physical plane does with the mental one. So the, the the mental plane words are also trying to describe the mystical realm. They're trying to describe out of space. Now think of this. I've actually been talking about outer space. I'm, I'm talking about a vacuum. That's a word. The word vacuum, the word out of space. And yet somehow you knew what I was talking about. So we're so abstract in that, that I am literally telling you about nothing. I'm describing nothing to you. I'm using words. And yet I'm quite sure when I said outer, outer space, when I say that, when I said we don't have clouds in outer space, I'm sure you knew what I meant. I'm sure it was perfectly clear to you, but think of it quite literally now. Quite literally what a vacuum is. What outer space is. In some ways, that's the physical version of the mystical plane. It's a vacuum. And there is something quite spooky about it. Now, what we can do with our words is we can sort of start to arrange them around in certain ways that will give you a touch or a sense of the mystical realm and that's basically been done that's basically been tried in many different ways across many cultures for centuries and we could say that that's the that's what words are always trying to do in a sense i mean if we i mean we can we can become sort of reductionistic and unbalanced and say that well, all evolution is just trying to become mystical. Or we can say, no, everything is just physical and the mystical realm doesn't exist because we only work with things that are physical and real because we're empiricists. But both those sides are unbalanced. They're only one side of the equation. So understand that the mystical and the physical can be represented in the mental plane, but will never equate to the same thing. So I can only ever hint at it. I can only ever illustrate it. And maybe I need to use poetry or I need to create methods or I need to reference some books where people have written about this. Talk about authors that have worked out how to illustrate this in beautiful ways and give you a sense of what the mystical realm is and these are very broad things we're talking about hugely broad they're not really categories and they're not really levels. that's why i've called them planes they're just very very broad and they're very very deep so keep this in mind that's one of the components of this matrix the planes of existence, the physical, the mental, and the mystical, or the planet, clouds, and space. So now we come to tiers, and I'm hoping that you've heard of this before, because we have also talked about this in different ways, in small amounts here and there, which is this idea of first tier and second tier. This is specifically to do with grouping levels of consciousness it also applies to grouping grouping groups of values or grouping value spheres if we say there's a collection of values and then there's multiple collection well oh, pardon me there's multiple collections of values then the tiers are well how do we group those multiples so i hope this isn't too much of a brain brain twist, but it, it, you should be all right with it, I think. Let, let me let me explain this. I mean, what's another way of saying this? We all go through life with a sense of what life is. And we sort of, we're born and we, we grow up a little bit and we say, this is what life is. And we walk around telling ourselves what life is. And we operate in that way for some time, for some years. But then something happens. Some new information comes along or some new experiences come along or you get a little bit older, you get a little bit more grown up and then you shift, you change. And then you're walking around saying, no, 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 that's not what life is. This is what life is. Life is this. Ah, Yes, this is life. And then you're walking around, you're living life. and You're saying, well, okay, so this is what life is. But then it happens again. Some new information comes along or you grow up a little bit more. Or some experience happens to you. And then it's like, oh, actually, no, that, no, 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 that wasn't, that's not what life is. This is what life is. Now, in a model like Spiral Dynamics, you actually go through six shifts. There are six times that you are walking around thinking, oh, this is life. And then you say, no, 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 that's not it. This is it. That happens six times before you realize, oh, actually, I see what's going on here. I'm always walking around thinking, oh, this is what life is. And it always changes. And after those first six levels, well, then you get to second tier. Those first six levels are first tier levels of consciousness. And actually, the vast majority of people are still in first tier. I think some estimates put second tier consciousness or second tier value spheres in individuals at about 5%. So if you can understand this conversation you're in the top 5%. If you can follow along and you're well well understanding it is one thing and actually having your center at second tier well that's another thing as well. That's probably that's another very big long tangent that we can talk about. But if we if we understand if you see that there are levels of consciousness and you see that it's always changing and you start to doubt now what's coming, there must be something new coming, then you can bounce into second tier. Now, when you get to second tier, you also have a number of levels because you're also still walking around thinking, okay, so this is it. This is what I'm working with. Now, in spiral dynamics, there are about eight or nine levels. And there are six levels to first tier and two or three levels to second tier. And pretty much in that, there's enough to keep you busy for a lifetime. Like, it is huge. There is so much in that. And there are many developmental models as well, you know, like Eric Erickson or Gene Gebser or... What was the other one we did? We did one on yeah Jean Jean or Abraham Maslow or Piaget. I mean Piaget was an earlier one, but these there's there's a whole bunch of this this is developmental psychology that we're talking about, and there's a whole bunch of them that have different increments, but very few of them go beyond very far of this second tier. They don't see much further beyond that. Some of them don't even reach second tier. I mean, spir- that's why spiral dynamics is so good, is because it it understands this, and it's and and I mean, the reason we have tiers is because there's a momentous difference, there's a mo- a monumental difference between first tier thinking and second tier thinking, and not only not only thinking but experiencing. So you've got first tier, well, consciousness. If we if we want to use consciousness as a broad term, for you know, thinking, experiencing, feeling, and viewing the world and values and morality and all that, then we can say first-tier consciousness is fundamentally different in so many ways to second-tier consciousness. It's big stuff. There's really so much in it. And it can transform so much of your life to... Understand this: the very the very fabric of your existence opens up when you make that shift from first tier to second tier. It really is something magical, and that's why I keep talking about it. That's why I keep bringing it up. That's why we keep discussing it. That's why I'm always saying you got to check out Spiral Dynamics or Gene Gebser or any of these any of these developmental psychologists or Ken Wilber. And Wilbur's very hip to this. He has a beautiful way of explaining all this. But, what would you believe? There's a third tier. You mean there's a third tier? I thought it was only first tier and second tier. Oh my goodness, third tier. Yes, there is a third tier. Now, if only 5% of the people... (laughs) are in second tier how many people do you think are in third tier <laughs> well we can speculate but it's less than it's less than a hundredth of a percent by some estimates and one of the very few models i think probably the only model that i've come across that thinks about things in terms of the third tier is The Wilbur Combs Matrix, which you read about in Ken Wilbur's Integral Theory. So, for so long, I've just been thinking, wow, this is just way beyond what I can deal with. It's just too much. And the reason I've started talking about it today is because, well, something has clicked. Now, I'll also remind you again that there is a difference between talking about this and understanding it conceptually, and actually living there. And we can also say that there's a difference between momentarily visiting experientially a higher tier, and having your center there, or having your structure there, or being there structurally. Because we talk about states as temporary things these passing peak experiences, which are one-offs or isolated occurrences. And then we have structure, which is your, your default mode. what it's like to you, be, what it's like to be you on a day-to-day basis on a regular day. So here, we're using words and we're trying to conceptualize these tiers, so that you know what you're shooting for. You know that what you're working... I want to say working towards, but that can be a little bit deceptive. When you understand... When you understand a little bit more of what we're saying here. you will I mean, part of this game... One of the core principles of this game of navigating through consciousness via words is... You start to see how treacherous they are, or how tricky they are, or how misleading they are. So keep that in mind. That can be one of our concepts that apply to these, or just one of these little things in our toolkit that you need to be aware of. So three tiers, and there's a simple way of understanding these. It's a simple way of summarizing them. Now, we have to be careful here because when we talk about tiers, remember they're broad categories. So you do need to still do the legwork of complexifying the summary. You need to build a stronger definition, a stronger detail underneath this broad summary that I'm giving you. We're, We're speaking very meta today. We're speaking only in, only in general terms, and it's almost like we're just doing a whole bunch of book summaries. Like, Imagine if we're just reading the introduction for all the books. That's how we're moving through this, which means that when, once you hear this introduction, once you hear these summaries, then you need to still do the legwork and flesh it out. Add the meat to the bones. That's a good saying. Put flesh on the bones. So, three tiers. First tier is defined by doing. It's defined by action. And it works mostly in the physical plane. Second tier is defined by being. You are being, you are not doing. It's all about being. It's all about how things are. And being is mostly defined by the emotional realm, it doesn't seem right to say it's of the mental realm, It's not just words. Being is more about experiencing, it's of the experiencing plane, it's of the emotional world, it's of the phenomena, of the qualia, of the sensory perception, of a receptivity to reality. These sorts of things come up. These sorts of phrases or ways of describing being come up. And third tier is defined, well not defined but summarized by non-being. And this is the mystical plane. This is how you get a sense of the third tier is by non-being. So first tier is doing, second tier is being, third tier is non-being. And a lot of very advanced people can understand this. If you're deep into developmental psychology, you've well heard of the dichotomy of Feminine and masculine, like I've got this feminine side, which wants to be receptive and relaxing or just enjoy and just have the gifts of existence and just be and be content and these sorts of things. And then I've got the masculine side, which is I need to do something. I need to save the world. I need to change the world. I need to make a company. I need to make a creative project. I need to help people. I need to make some money, I need to start a company and a product and do marketing and I need to have a cause, I need to have a lasting impression, I need to work. And this dichotomy of doing and being, well, if you're at the stage where you're starting to see that struggle, well, you're just about ready for second tier or you're shifting into second tier. And you could say, well... Do we have to do a certain amount before we understand what it means to be? Like, if we just do more and more and more, will we eventually say, "Look, everything I do doesn't work"? And in a sense, yes. I mean, that's the that's the existential crisis or the identity crisis that comes. There's something there's something related in the shift from. First tier to second tier and the midlife crisis. There's a relationship there. There's a reason why people have a midlife crisis around their their mid-30s to 40s. Because they've been doing. They've been doing all their life. Do this, do that. Yes, okay. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Yes, teacher. Yes, boss. And they've been working, working, working. And they've got all the physical realm. They've achieved all the physical stuff. And yet it's got nothing to do with being. They're not being. And they start to say things like, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. So this difference between doing and being is a big one. And it's not going away. It's always going to be here. Everyone's got to go through this. Everyone's got to make sense of this. But then, above this, we've got non-being. And let's take a look. Like, What happens if we apply this relationship between doing and being, and we apply that same relationship to being and non-being? Well, do we have to be a certain number of things before we realize it's futile? Can we be this, be that? experience this, have this qualia, this phenomena, this phenomenological experience, this emotion, and we have all those, do we reach a point of a second-tier midlife crisis? So what, what is it like? A, <laughs> it's not a midlife crisis. It's a three-quarter, three-quarter life crisis. <laughs> is there such thing? <laughs> well, some people don't have their midlife crises in the middle of their life. Some people have them much younger. (laughs) I know I did. (laughs) But this is just a way of getting at it. This is just a way of moving towards an understanding of non-being. And each stage has its draw. Each stage reaches its limit. And we can say, well, it, it comes back to this question like, does everyone have a certain amount in them that they need to do at the doing stage before they start to break into being and then do those same people have a certain amount of things they have to be at the being tier being stage well i've start you notice how i collapsed stages tiers into stages when really a tier is multiple stages so just keep that in mind that when we get lazy with the talk, the complexity goes out the window. But to keep moving things along, we'll just keep things going along. But keep that in mind because, I mean, I pick myself up on that. Uh, sometimes I might not if we're moving along quite fast. Back to being. Were there a certain amount of things that these people have to be before they start to understand the draw of not being? And the answer is, we're all different. There's no knowing why people blossom into what they do. There's no reason why some flames of the fire lick higher than others. Some sparks go out further than others. So... The idea of propellant or the idea of working or being autonomous to make your way through these, you see that that breaks down very quickly because autonomy is of that of doing, choice and work and it's all about me and it's my own steam that's going to get me there, meritocracy, capability, skill, This is all just autonomy. It's all doing. It's all in this first tier. And you have to let that go to be in the being tier. And well, what's the secret to non-being? Well, how do you stop being? (laughs) Well, that's a funny question. That's when we get into some... Well, that's when we get into mystical methods. Now, there are methods that are designed for Different tears. That's what spiritual practice is. If you're doing a mystical method or a spiritual method, chances are it's designed at getting you to this non-being stage. And just take just take regular ABC sort of meditation, for example. Like what is that? You you sit on a cushion, so you stop doing. And then you notice how you are, so you're aware of your being. And then beyond that, you can notice that there's something that is doing the noticing of the being which doesn't change. And that thing is the thing that's not being. And right there, well, (laughs) that's basically, (laughs) that's beginner... There you have a perfect summary of beginner ABC meditation right through to enlightenment. <laughs> now, I don't want to bring the word enlightenment into this because it causes too much confusion. It's not, it's not a word that is useful here for this conversation. We can say, is, is being enlightened mean you're not being? Like if you're not being, does that mean you're enlightened? Is that the goal? Do we want to not be And there we can get into tangles because the answer is no. You don't want to not be. You want to do and be and not be. You want a holistic approach. You want to be integrated with all these tiers. So the tiers and the planes are related, but only roughly speaking. Because if you think of doing as the physical plane and being as the mental plane and non-being as the mental plane, then you can start to get a picture of the dynamics of them and what they are like. And this whole thing, all of this here today, remember this is still only the mental plane. We're using words to get at doing and non-being the physical and the mystical. Now, let's get back to the elixir koans. With all this in mind, take a look at our koans. And what happens is, well, what you can do or what the idea is, whenever you say these koans spontaneously, it will give you a sense of which tier and which plane of existence that moment is for you or where it's coming from or what it's related to. And you'll notice that you actually, in a sense, you already have all three tiers all three planes are ever present they are they're already there they're right there right now they're right here right now it's just a matter of being aware of them it's a matter of being awake to them so look at these koans i am doing i am being i am not and i am feeling so think of think of just some of the common ways in which You say this to yourself, I am doing work. I'm doing some work. I'm doing my exercise. I'm doing some sort of action. I'm doing my routine. I'm doing my job. I'm doing my tasks. I'm doing my duty. I'm doing the best I can. Some of those can get a bit abstract. They're not entirely physical realm. And there's a natural way to say these koans. There are natural things. There are natural words that go with doing rather than with being. So let's take a look at some examples of I am being. I am being creative. I am being rude. I am being playful. I don't know if anyone would ever admit to I am being rude. Maybe in past tense, I was being rude. Oh, I'm sorry. I am being independent. I am being honest. I am being tricky. Oh, sorry for being tricky. And it's funny how you can leave out the I am being and you can just have the I am. This is another sort of one you want to look out for. I am happy I am sad now if you had to add either doing being not or feeling you wouldn't you wouldn't add doing like you could say I am being happy I am not happy I am feeling happy but you couldn't really say I am doing happy and that tells you something about the situation in which that phrase applies And what's happening with your consciousness in that moment? And what about I am not? Do you realize that you say this? At times you define something by a negative. You define something by a vacuum. Something becomes illuminated by the void that is around it. And you point this out. And it's the clearest, absolutely most best way to define it. Take a look at these examples. I am not worried. I'm not worried about that. I'm not interested. No thanks, not interested. I'm not concerned. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not involved. I'm not enlightened. That's a statement about yourself. That gets at your identity. And I mean, most, a lot of these, well, you could say really all of these are to do with your identity and your sense of self, because they have the I amness." It's an inquiry into self. I am smart. I am capable. I am this. I am that. I am not smart. I am not capable. I am not this. I am not that. And that's so funny how we define things by a negative. So those are the koans and just some of the ways in which they relate to doing, being and not. So let's now go through the, the concepts of how you actually apply this. So this is, this is how we get into it and really make it practical. So, so far up to now, we've talked about the theory and the idea. We've been illustrating how some of the words bounce around. This is where the rubber meets the road and you want to actually contemplate it. Now, I'll just reinforce what I said at the start, which is you want to have these four koans as things that you remember. Like you have to have a certain amount of awareness and significance to them already. So you really should either have them written on a piece of paper or you should say them over and over again. You can just you can just say it as a mantra. I am doing, I am doing, I am doing. If you drill that into yourself by saying it a hundred times and then I am being, I am being, or you can pick one per week for four weeks, create a routine out of it. Say, what's the koan of the week? I am being, I am being, I am not. It needs to be this thing in your mind, which whenever you hear it, Or whenever it comes up, a little bell goes off. You've got the elixir koan bell. Ding, ding, ding. It's the alarm bell. And you might remember it, or you might try to bring it up on purpose to apply to something. And that gets into the concepts of application. So, concept number one, expression. When you spontaneously express yourself either with words or with a thought, you catch yourself saying a koan. So whenever you say, I am doing, and you finish that sentence with anything, you say, ah, that's one of our koans. Whenever you say, I am being, you catch yourself and you say, what part of my being, what part of my existence is being expressed? It's so funny, isn't isn't it, that I have to use the word being to describe being. <laughs> I hope you can see how slippery the words become. And whenever you say, I am not, or you express anything in a negative, that should also be something that comes up. And really, keep it as specific. There are variables and threads on these koans, which we'll go through, but at first you want to be really solid with the bare, basic, accurate, literal words. I am not. And you can catch yourself saying this or thinking it. So you have to have a certain amount of awareness. You have to have some sort of Witnessing of your thoughts already occurring. So if you're still if you're still lost in thoughts in your meditation, this is really all I mean, you've already probably tuned out by now. So we're not talking to those people. But if you're witnessing your thoughts and you're actually starting to see, okay, so I've got thoughts like this and this and this, and I'm starting to sort these out, and I'm starting to notice, you know, my patterns or my neuroses or my different scripts, then this is perfect for you. Expression, catch yourself when you're saying one of these koans. And the fourth one is, I am feeling. And this can be great for expression. Often we don't express ourselves enough. We don't say enough about our feelings. Which sort of brings me to another concept, which is reverse engineering, but we'll get to that in a moment. How often do you say to yourself, I am feeling? You don't have to say it out loud. You think it. And there's something very powerful in having that as a koan. I am feeling. What are you feeling right now? And you have to hold yourself to it. You have to be honest. You have to build the honesty. So you have to remember to do it. You have to remember to ask yourself it when the time is right, when the time comes. And then you also have to remember to be sincere in your answer and you have to be honest enough in yourself to take the time to find the sincere answer. So it's a pretty deep legwork. It's a pretty deep trick that we're working with here. Now, concept number two is inquiry. Inquiry. So you can ask yourself the koan. So so expression is spontaneous. You say the koan without even realizing it. It just it just comes out and then you realize, "Oh, that was one of the koans." Whereas inquiry is different because you ask yourself the koan or you try it on. That's when you say, "How am I feeling?" or you say, "What am I doing?" Right now, I am doing, and then you answer it, even though normally you wouldn't need to say that to yourself. And it's funny because we we have this. We say, what am I doing? Have you ever said that to yourself? You think, oh, what am I doing? That's sort of like this, this crisis of, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. There's a feedback there. Or even an assertive sort of nature to it. I am doing. Like when you assert it, I am doing. That's a very masculine sort of strong physical side of the version of these words. So inquiring is trying on the koan out of context. You're trying to put a koan onto, see, see which one fits. At random throughout the day or at a specific time or a specific situation that you want to work with. And and the, the, the question is, you want to know what your consciousness is like in a specific situation or on a specific issue or experience. And try try all all four. So in that situation, does it fit to say, I am doing something or I am being something or I am not? or I am feeling, and one of those will fit better than the others, and that will indicate where you are with your consciousness. Concept number three, you've got general answer, and then concept number four is you've got specific answer. Now, general answer is for when you're contemplating your life or you're answering who you are or what you're like as a person or you're contemplating through over things broadly. It's to do with your identity, your structure. It's very open. You can give a general answer. and And you can see this, like, what are you doing? When, some, when a friend comes up to you and says, oh, what are you doing? You can, you can answer generally. You can say, oh, well, I, I do this each day, and I do that, and I've got this job. You can say, well, what are you doing this job? And you're not in the job at the moment. And you're not going to give them all the details. You're just going to say generally what you do in the job. And the same thing applies to being and I am not and not being, and feeling. What are you feeling these days? How do you feel? Just generally. What are just some of the common feelings that come up over and over? And then you have specific answers. This is very different to general answers. Well, it's the opposite. Specific is right here, right now, in this very nanosecond. You ask yourself this koan, one of these koans, and you answer it specifically, right here. Doesn't matter about the past, doesn't matter about the future, doesn't matter about any time, apart from right now. What are you doing right now? Answer it right now. What are you doing? What are you being right now? Are you being attentive to what I'm saying? Are you being open to what I'm saying? Are you being interested in what I'm saying? What are you not right now? Whoa. You, you see how you have to stop being to answer that? You have to stop being what you're being. You have to 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 be what you're to be what you're being, you have to stop what you're doing. And to not be, you have to stop what you're being. (laughs) There's this ever-ending dropping of things as we go along. What are you not right now? You really have to be deep in silence. There's some deep silence to find that, to find the answer to that. I mean, we're, we're, we're being chatterboxes at the moment. So we're thinking things through. So I don't expect a very deep answer as to what are you not right now. What are you feeling right now? What do you feel right now? Right now. Exactly now. What do you feel? What do you feel in your body and what do you feel emotionally? See now we're now we're splitting this into two. I've got the body sensations and the emotional sensations. Now, you want to have both of these concepts, general answers and specific answers, because it doesn't work to have only one of them, because the specific answers will build up throughout your day, week and month as you work on this, as you contemplate this. And all it takes is, well, just to remember every now and then to stop and say, what am I doing? And then you make a mental note. And then you get to the end of the day, and you've got about five or six of these things where you knew exactly what you were doing or feeling. And, well, if you really want to go deep, you start writing them down. Like if you want to speed up the process and work with the, you're using the, the mental realm You're using the physical realm to heighten your mental realm. You start writing it down. You start writing a journal. And then you can look back at all your specifics and you can summarize them. And then your general answer becomes more accurate, becomes more clear, more nuanced. So it's very important to understand these third and fourth Concepts of general answer and specific answer. Concept number five, application, is drill into each koan. This is where you, you sit down and you say, what are all the things that I do? And let's list all of the things that I do. as accurately as possible, as microscopic as possible, as comprehensively as possible. And then go through and list all the things that you are being. And then you drill into all the things that you are not. And all the things that you are feeling. Now, this really reveals a lot. If you make this into a list what you'll get is there are, there are some lists that will be harder to do than others. And this will indicate, well, where you're at in the tiers of development, where you're at in your consciousness, how easy it is to write each one, how long each list is. Let's say you have to come up with a 100 things for each list. And time yourself. See how much you start thinking about each one. And you'll you'll start going into each one. The thinking process, the mental process behind each one will also be different. It'll start opening things up. Concept number, what are we up to? Six. One. Expression, inquiry, general answer, specific answer. Drilling into each one and reverse engineering. One, two, three, four, five, six. Concept number six is reverse engineering, which is when you apply one koan to every situation. So that would mean that you're being creative or you're being a workaholic. Or you're being worried when normally it's more natural for you to say that I'm doing work or I'm feeling creative. Well, let's just take work as an example. You could say I am doing work, but work isn't always, work isn't necessarily just associated with doing. That might not be the part of you that is actually active there. It might be your being. Work might be secondary to how you are being when you're at work. Or how you are feeling. It's the feeling that is forefront to your being. And these differences are shown when you try to apply one koan to everything. So whenever you what 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 would that look like? It would mean whenever you use the word doing you say hang on a second no not doing what about being or feeling or what's not what's the opposite of this what's the negative version of this? You could say oh I'm I'm doing work. No, you're not. You're being a workaholic. You're not being a good parent. <laughs> Maybe you should be working at home or being spending more time with the kids. <laughs> well, that's just a funny example. So that's reverse engineering when you apply one koan to all situations. And then you've got sort of the flip side of that, which is authentic indicating or authentic engineering, which is when you find the right one and you stop and you ask yourself, am I being, doing or feeling or is there something missing here? Am I not, well, see, the the third one, I am not, that's a tricky one. It's a, well, that's why it's mystical, isn't it? I mean, if we just stick with doing, being and feeling then, You can work with that, but the the not one really gets into some tricky territory when you apply these concepts to it. So authentic indicating is when you're working with answering the koan in a way that is not spontaneous like expression, and it's not forced like inquiry, it's not a self-inquiry or a contemplation that you're trying to tangle yourself up with or work with, you're just trying to see what the real fitting expression is, or the, the, the real fitting way of applying it is. And that will tell you, well, where you're at. It will show you what part of your consciousness is being activated and what this situation, or whatever it is that's happening in this situation, plays into your being. And the other concept to understand is disidentifying and differentiating This is complexifying the self. So, you're discovering these things in yourself by the way you talk about them. And then you're flipping the way you talk about them to expand how you are. And this brings you into something new and sort of unstable. And you start to disidentify things because it's no longer you it's a part of you or it's something that you've labeled so you're putting labels on things to in the in the same way that you learn to talk so think of it this way if we've got the physical realm and you keep coming into contact with objects then it's undifferentiated it's it's just a muck but then, once you start labeling things and you have a way of mentally saying, oh, this is the bed, the chair, the desk, the shelves, well, that means you're disidentifying and complexifying it. Now, here, what we're doing is the same thing, but the inside of your being, the real veil between your sense of self and your essence. And if you do that, authentically and you complexify more and more and you understand how each part is fitting into these broad tiers of doing being and non-being then you can start to actually get this propellant happening you can start to see the mechanics you you're discovering the mechanics for yourself and you have to you have to discover the mechanics for yourself because it's only in you that You you only have inside you to work with. Inside you is the only test test subject, the only case study. So you're disidentifying, differentiating, complexifying, and labeling these parts of yourself or your being. And that becomes a process, which leads you to start to see more and more how the parts and parts are related and then you can extract principles from those relating parts and these dynamics and then apply those principles to other areas and then things start to open up and you can broaden you can deepen you can speed up the process and it just becomes more and more open and you start to it, it's like you're it's like you're in a hot air balloon and you're blowing the air in with your own, with your own lungs, you have to, you have to blow it in, and eventually, what happens is you're blowing you. So that's like contemplating. You're thinking, you're thinking, you're saying, "Oh, what am I doing? What am I being? I am not. I am feeling." You, you're going around, and you've got this, these ball, this ball of thoughts in your head, and and that's the blowing up of the balloon. And what happens is eventually, the balloon takes off. You go, ah. Oh, and then you break through. That's that's the shift that's happening. So we're trying to build this balloon to lift you up. And, well, it, it's basically as tedious. <laughs> it's basically the same task as blowing up an entire hot air balloon with your own lungs. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to discourage you, but it's a... a because... I remind you again that this is that these are deep things that we're talking about. We're being very broad in this conversation today. So I don't want to sell you anything that's just a like a quick fix. We're not into quick fixes here. We're into the real deal. So yeah, that's what is it one two, four, five, six, seven, That's the eighth concept that we've got so far, disidentifying and differentiating. To complexify the self. And then the last note that I've got for applying concepts to these koans is turn a question into a statement and vice versa. So you can say, What am I doing? What am I being? What am I not? And what am I feeling? And then you can say, well, the koans we've listed here are as statements. I am doing, I am being, I am not, I am feeling. And this is a little trick that you can apply to everything, which is whenever you have a question, you say, no, whenever you have a statement, you say, what is that statement? What is the question that that statement is the answer to? And this is sort of like another version of reverse engineering. And you can ask yourself, how many statements are there in your thoughts? How many solid, hard fact statements are there? Like statement, can you make a statement about yourself? Just make a true statement, a solid statement, an unfound, an an unshakable statement about yourself or about your being. Now, if you've got a lot of those, well, you've got a strong sense of self. You've got a strong ego. You've got a healthy ego. And if that's the case, you need more questions. You need to start to unsettle that. And if you've got a lot of questions bouncing around, then... Well, maybe you need to strengthen yourself and you need to come back to answers. So questions and answers are, think of it like you've got this little gauge on your being, which is a percentage of questions and answers, and it can be unbalanced either way. You can have way too many questions or way too many answers, way too many statements. Because statements, when you hear a statement, you don't realize that's an answer all the time. But that's what a statement is. A statement always is an answer. So learn to reverse engineer questions and answers. And it can be you get to the point where, well, there are certain I mean, this is this is why it's so tricky to talk about, you know, where you're at, because at certain points you want to balance your questions and answers. At certain points you need to do one more in the other way, and you need more questions. And then at other points, you need more answers. And then at some points, it's actually appropriate to only have answers. It's just the life is just this big question or this big answer. You've arrived at the answer. And usually, well, the answer comes after the question most of the time. You really need to, to, to get the big answer, you need to have the big questions. For a total answer, you need total questions. And this is a specific point in the development of consciousness. Is I mean I mean they they're all these are all milestones. We're really hopping from milestone to milestone here. And there's a point where you want to know the answer and you all you have is questions, and no answer is good enough. And it's just question, 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 question. Why, 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 why? And at a certain interval with the appropriate development, those questions do get answered. There are no longer any questions. It's actually possible to reach to a point where you have no questions. But that's different to someone who's just not interested or doesn't inquire or doesn't have the sense of earning, yearning for the beyond. So there are nuances and differences to the different points, the different milestones. So it's very hard to just put them so close together because really they're very far apart. It's a long journey that we're talking about. So let's do some threads. So we've got two sets of threads. This is something you can do to further open up your elixir koans. And if you can can wrap your head around these, then you start to see how language is adapting to the different planes of existence. And how they come up all the time in different ways, in very little ways. So, thread set number one. Who, when, where, what, why, how. So, this is classic question building. This is classic question inquiry. So, we're systematizing the koans. And we're doing all the variations on them. I am doing. Who is doing? When are you doing? When am I doing? Where am I doing? Where are you doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? Why are you doing? Why am I doing? Who is being? Who is being? When are you being? When am I being? Where am I being? Where are you being? You can ask yourself, where do I be this where do you be happy? That can, that can tell you a lot about someone. Where where do you feel happy? Where do you feel safe? That's just one example that comes to mind. What are you being? What am I being? Why are you being? Why are you being? How are you being? How am I being? How are you being? I am not. Who is not? When? Are You Not? When Am I Not? When Am I Ever Not? Where Am I Not? Where Are You Not? What Are You Not? What Am I Not? Why Am I Not? Why Am I Not? Why Am I Not More Like This? Why Am I Not That Person? Why Am I Not This Or That? Why Am I Not? See how that's a very funny question that comes up Now if you have these elixir koans and you're walking around you're saying oh why am i not successful you can go ding 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 ah i am not why am i not this is one of our koans now that's telling me something about my state of being my state of existence at that time why am i not how am i not how are you not How are you not more successful? How are you not more appreciated? I am feeling. Who is feeling? When are you feeling? When am I feeling? Where am I feeling? Where do you feel? What am I feeling? Why are you feeling? Why am I feeling? How am I feeling? How are you feeling this? How am I feeling this? So that's who, when, where, what, why as applied to the four koans of I am doing, I am being, I am not, I am feeling. And the second set of threads is something that we've also sort of stumbled upon with the I am and you are. And it's sort of a, I mean, the the, the threads, they don't fit neatly because words are so tricky. Because, well, let's just go through them. So this is the second set of threads you, they, it is, I am, as a statement without words, and are. So you are doing, you are being, you are not, you are feeling. A lot of those we covered in the first set of threads. Then we can say they are doing, they are being, they are not, they are feeling. That's good for understanding the consciousness of a collective that you're in relation to. Think, think of a community or a group activity or some sort of collective in your life. Some sort of institution or something. And you can say, what are they doing? What are they being? What are they not? And what are they feeling? What do they feel? Isn't it funny that I start to say, what do they feel? That word doing falls into the feeling very quickly. And this also applies to it's. So it's not just whose, but it's it's. So things, and that's the idea of the thread of it is. It is doing. It is being. It is not. It is feeling. And this gets very abstract when we're starting to project feelings... Onto objects by a way of understanding what they are by contrast. And if you understand that that's a projection, well, then that, that says something about your relationship to that object or that thing. Now, the other thread is I am. And that's where you answer these koans without the the doing, being, not or the feeling. And you, you make a statement which is I am and then one word. I am I don't want to give examples. If I give examples here it will it will feed too much. Of a, it will it will be making it too easy for you to just slip into using my own examples. So this is a this is a contemplation which is very, very much into the core of your being. You say, you say what you are, but you can't use the word doing, being, feeling or not and you can only answer with one word so i am word it's a three word statement i am insert your word so have a go try try and think this through like what would you what would you say i am And then notice that something that comes will either be a doing, a being, or a feeling, or something that's not. And that will indicate how true it is of what it, well, I mean, let me, let me, let me reintegrate that the importance of your own honesty is important here. Like if you're just thinking through an answer, then you're not you're not speaking from your being, you're not learning about your being. So the way to really avoid that mistake is to have a clear understanding of how the answer resonates with you. So you say, try try on different things. Let's use some little examples and see how they resonate. So these will be testing your resonance. So, I am big. How does it feel to say that? I am big. And keep it very simple. Don't contemplate all the variations on what could be implied or all the multiple definitions of big. Just keep it broad. Keep it general. And say, I am big. What about... I am powerful. I am powerful. How does it feel to try that on? How does that resonate with you? So that's just a few examples. That's just two that you can work with. And you start to see that these concepts, these threads, these planes, these tiers, if you start working on them and you're really clear about how they relate to these koans, then it starts to become this organism It starts to become this harmony, because all the parts keep coming up, different parts. It's like juggling. Each ball is going around in this pattern. It's this flow. And it really is beyond just the mental plane. It really does involve also the the feeling, the phenomena. And these get into your identity, they get into your sense of self, they get into your sense of existence, your sense of what it means to be alive, what it means to exist. And eventually you'll see how words are so incomplete and yet also have the ability to imply things. And the reason we make such complicated, vast matrices like this is because we're talking about, well, really, really deep stuff. This is not just the chair, the table, the bed, the books. We're talking about the very core of your being, And all its nuances, all its flavors, all its individualities, its idiosyncrasies. And at different times of day, in different situations. So it's a holistic approach that we're taking here. It's adaptable and it's holistic and it's a propellant. That's the idea, is you're starting to propel yourself. So instead of just going around thinking through life, thinking about life how it is, you're actually looking for a shift. You're actually looking for the hot air balloon to take off. You're looking for something to change, the ball to start rolling. And to do that, well, you need to you need to do the legwork. And it's up to you to figure out how to do that. So I would suggest reading up on spiral dynamics and developmental psychology and different tiers, having a daily meditation practice, which is of contemplation, which is the mental realm, this is thinking through these things. And you really want to be doing a few different things you want to be experimenting with a few different things with your meditation because contemplation alone is not enough. You also need an experiential one. And you also need a concentration one. So keep, keep yourself open to trying different meditations until you've tried quite a few and you're starting to see how they work together. And keep writing your journal. Keep making notes. Keep thinking in words as you type thinking in type and even thinking out loud at times can help and maybe make a piece of paper or a post-it note or a sign on your room or something that has these four ko- four koans these elixir koans which is i am doing i am being i am not And I am feeling. And even just that, if you just have those four koans nearby somewhere to remind you, is enough. Because you'll think about it. It will come to mind. It doesn't, in a sense, it doesn't take any extra time. Like we do meditation to build the chops of navigating the inner world. But a lot of the work and getting the ball rolling you can do throughout your day while you're in other situations because you're going to be thinking all day anyway let's be honest that that ticker is going on all day and we can we can actually add a whole another <laughs> a whole another element to this matrix which is the experiential element so what is the experience of doing What is the experience of being and what is the experience of non-doing? And it's a bit tricky to find the right words for that because the words that we use for that, uh, well, well, we've already used. Because when we say, I am feeling, well, that implies an experiential side, but actually there's... well, well this is where you start to turn the koans on themselves like what does it feel like to be doing what does it feel like to be being what does it feel like to be not what does it how are you doing this feeling how are you doing this sense of being how are you how are you doing this yeah it gets it gets tricky so that's why we it doesn't really work that's why we would need a Another element, which would be the experiential element. And maybe that's probably the limit of what we need to discuss here today. I feel like there's a lot to chew on just in what we've said so far. And, well, the other the other episode we did the other time was, I think it was yesterday, that was on integration. And that was also a huge subject. It's a very deep So integration and the elixir koa are two very deep subjects which we'll keep talking about and we'll keep having different examples on and showing its different forms and just illustrating at different depths, different amounts of detail and seeing how it all fits together. So I hope that's been helpful for you and I'd like to know how you go with it. I'm curious because it's just been it's it's been truly extraordinary for me, if I can talk about myself for a minute. It's just been amazing to have these insights and to open up and to see that life is about doing and being and non-being. And getting those to work harmoniously is gonna make for Just a beautiful experience of existence. So we can sit quietly now if it's comfortable for you to do so. And just let these words bubble around for a bit. And come back to your patience. Come back to your sense of calmness. This is why we sit quietly, is to just not run off quite so quickly, even though I know it's been a long one, so let's just sit quietly. And that's all I have to say for now.